in the area of the Ark of the Covenant in the temple of the Old Testament. They said a cloud dwelled over the Ark, which was the box that held the commandments. That cloud was the presence of God, called the Shekinah, in English, glory. Did you catch how many times Jesus used the word glory in the gospel tonight? And I say tonight, one, because it's evening mass, but two, because this is part of his farewell speech at his Last Supper. And you and I have been given privy to eavesdrop as Jesus is talking to our Father. His Father, absolutely. But through him, God the Father becomes our Father because he says to his Father, you gave me glory, and now I want to glorify you. Although I had the, the glory that you have from the beginning of the world, think Trinity, think Creator. So Jesus is revealing through God, John's Gospel the early stages of understanding the Trinity, one God, three persons. So as he talks to God the Father, he says that I have shared your glory with them. You gave me them. We're talking about the 12. Well, I think we're talking about any who believe in him because he refers to the world that I didn't share your glory with. And when Jesus in the Gospel of John refers to the world, he's speaking about the outsiders, those who do not follow him, those who follow Satan, those who are the evil ones, the world. And he's praying to the Father, and as well as we, to the Father, in his words. Today is the seventh Sunday of Easter, the last Sunday of the Easter season before we celebrate the great gift of the Holy Spirit next week. We'll talk about that then. But today we're looking at Jesus' prayer and we realize throughout the Gospel and the Old Testament and the Acts of the Apostles, the theme of prayer is constant. Jesus praying to his Father, the early apostles after they left Jesus on Mount of Olivet as he ascended into the Father, they went away to their upper room, we believe, to pray with Mary. And the second reading from the letter of Peter is again encouraging us to pray when we're suffering, in this case. Prayer. I think Jesus' whole life was a prayer, if you look at it one way. What is prayer? The communication between us and God the Father, uniting ourselves with the Father. 
That's prayer. And you couldn't get any more definitive definition of prayer than Jesus himself. Here, the night before he's dying, this is the Last Supper, he's making it clear that his life is prayer with the Father. His constant communication with the Father allows him to hold on to the Shekinah, the glory of God that is now being passed on by Jesus to his apostles and from the apostles to us. Jesus is our prayer. Jesus' whole life is a prayer. But let's not get too caught up with one of the criticisms recently published by a, a poll interviewing Catholics specifically. And one of the criticisms the church had in this particular poll is that they pray too much. The church prays too much. And you think, what, are we, what else are we all about? But to be specific, the criticism also followed that one, we pray too much with the idea that we're so self-oriented, but the need is the church should be out in the world more. And that we know is absolutely true. But again, that's epitomized in Jesus. Just imagine wherever he went, he was praying to the Father. And wherever he went, he was bringing his mission. Lazarus, his resurrection, healing of the blind man, healing of the lepers, left and right. Wherever he was, he was praying. Because he makes it very clear, don't think I did these miracles. The one who sent me is doing the miracles. At Lazarus' tomb, Lazarus come out. And he says to the Father in prayer, Father, I'm saying this about you so they could hear. I'm speaking to you so they know what I'm all about. Jesus is doing his miracles as he prays to the Father, as he is the prayer causing the miracle, the unity of Father and Son causing Lazarus to come back to life. The deaf hear and the dumb speak through the work and the prayer of Jesus. Prayer is practical. Peter says it. Now, when Peter wrote this letter, or it was attributed to Peter, one of his followers could have written it, it was to the church who were Christians, but who was made up, the church was made up of Jews who became Christians, Greeks who became Christians, pagans who became Christians, and the church is growing because of this proselytization and evangelization. And we're probably happy about that. Peter's probably happy about that. But the reality is, is as the church is growing in numbers, those who were former pagans, Greeks, or Hebrews are being persecuted by their own people. 
because they left their old faith behind and have embraced Jesus. So he says to them, if you're insulted because of the name of Jesus, you're blessed. Reminiscent of the Beatitudes. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let no one suffer for doing evil. Whoever is made to suffer as a Christian should not be ashamed, but glory in God and glorify God because of his name. It's a whole different vision of suffering. If we suffer for our faith, we should be proud and glorify God, and God is being glorified. And when, not necessarily for our faith, we suffer in any part of our lives, as long as we're not suffering for doing evil, wherever we're suffering, Peter's assuring us, call upon Jesus Christ because he's sharing his glory with you. And whose glory is that? The Father's glory. Jesus is prayer personified. The connection, the bridge between God and people is epitomized in Jesus. His miracles are only a small part of that revelation. But listening to his prayers to the Father, whoa, opens up our eyes and helps us to realize he came fully as a man, a human being, but was God. And as he came, he carried the glory of God within him, the, the Shekinah, as you call it from the Old Testament. He carried the glory of God within him. So as he walked through life, he shared the glory of God with others. And as he says to the Father at the night of his Last Supper, I've passed it on to them, you and me. Now it's up to us to pass on the prayer of Jesus, the glory of Jesus. It's up to us to pass it on as we love as we respect, as we share, as we work for justice. And it's tough. It's very difficult, especially if we do it in the name of Christ Jesus. Because then the world says, oh, they're just a bunch of holy rollers. Go back to the survey. If they'd only get involved without being outside the church, we'd probably believe. And we, and I've said this so many times, as an institution, are one of the most charitable institutions on earth. I'm not saying that to give ourselves a pat on the back. That's our task. That's our mission. And when we don't do charity in the name of Jesus, we're going half-ass. We're not giving it fully the message of Christ. When we do charity in the name of Jesus, whether it's through food, clothing, civil rights, marching, whatever you choose to do for justice or for the word of God, in the name of Jesus, we're praying. We're praying. We take care of one another. We're praying. 
We're going to visit the sick. We're praying. We look around this church and pray for one another whom we don't even know maybe. We're praying. We go to the altar. We're praying. The names I mentioned tonight, you don't even know necessarily. And for them, we're praying. Why? Because we're doing it in the name of Jesus, who is our prayer before the Father. Next week, we'll celebrate Pentecost Sunday, the day it all comes together. Up until that day, historically, we're going back to the, the ascent of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles. Before that day, before that descent, the, the apostles got it, but not really got it. You know, they mm, sort of followed Jesus. They had questions for him right up to the end. And you know what he says. I'm with you all this time. You still don't know what I'm all about. But when the Holy Spirit came to them, it clicked. They understood Jesus as the prayer of the Father.